0: Certainly the Liberal Party, I think, or the NDP to that extent, probably wouldn't be the strongest driver's of ZEO. Obviously, a Conservative government would favour ZEO. But I think either way, ZEO has shown us this year that energy isn't to be forgotten.
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk. A special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Less than a week after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau dissolved Parliament to call for a special election, Canadian investors are weighing the potential impact on markets. What would a majority liberal government mean for the future of the oil industry? How does the Conservative Party propose to manage the country's growing fiscal deficit? And are any or all of these outcomes already priced into valuations? In today's episode, Chris Heeks, Chris McCaney, and your host Mark Rays break down the economic implications of the political melee and contribute several ETF trade ideas to improve your client portfolios. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca.
2: Hello and welcome to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights Call with our team of experts. I'm the host today, Mark Ray's Head of Products at Gan Canada. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. We certainly appreciate your time. We're joined today by Chris Heath and Chris McKinney both portfolio managers on our ETF decks and expert across all our tickers. So Chris and Chris, thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Let's get right into things here. Now, the big news this week has been the announcement of the Canadian federal election. Perhaps not a surprise, but still news nevertheless. We know there'll be promises made and in, in campaigns to run. What do you expect that to mean for the broad market and therefore our ZCN ETF. Thanks.
3: Thanks, Mark. And it, it looks like um, this election, at least, is setting up to be um, you know, the, the chance or the opportunity for the Liberal Party to um, gather a, a majority um, in, in, in government. And uh, obviously, that's likely why um, the election was called now as uh, Justin Trudeau. And the Liberals see that as, as a possibility for them um you know we'll we'll see as uh as the campaign moves on over the next month or so and uh, each party releases their full platform um and then the analysis of that platform you know we can really start to dig into what that does mean for the market for the economy and then and then for zcn um, and all canadian related equities Um, but i think that's going to take a little bit of time what we did see um, very recently was the Conservatives um, announcing their platform and releasing their entire platform um, for what they uh, would, would plan to do with, uh, uh, if they were voted in. And that's going to go through that, again, that analysis of what's this actually going to cost taxpayers over over the next several years. Um, the Conservatives themselves have said uh, they plan on balancing the budget within 10 years. And so so that's a very a uh, long timeline, I would suggest, for for what is uh, for a traditional Conservative government. So I think what we're seeing here is that this time is going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, even the Conservatives themselves um, pledging a lot of government spending. Um, and so COVID is going to continue to play a, a very big role in this election and in the Canadian economy over the next couple of years and how the government, um, whoever that might be, plans to deal with that and plans to help keep businesses afloat, plans to help keep consumers and individuals afloat as well. Um, And so I think um, the end result will be a lot of government spending, no matter who gets in um, to power, because again, conservatives typically, um, you know, the tightest with the purse string, so to speak, uh, when it comes to the three major political parties, um, the NDP being on the the other end and then the, the liberals being somewhere in between. Um, so even when we have what the Conservative Party released recently in terms of their planning and their spending, um, the amount of government spending we're going to see um, is sort of setting that that watermark for you know what the liberals, and then, of course, what the NDP will will pledge to do as well. Um, so I think, you know, in the long run, or at least in the in the next couple years, we're going to continue to see a, a lot of support um, through fiscal spending for Canadian consumers and for Canadian businesses. And and in general, that bodes well um, for for the economy in general. Now, of course, what that does lead is long run concerns over government spending, debt and deficits. Um, And so the longer term impacts of whoever gets in here, um, of course, are are still unknown and will will be felt a long time down the road. But the near term impacts I think should be pretty beneficial to the economy overall. Again, we got about four weeks here until the election um, takes place. And so we'll have more details coming out um, and more analysis on those on those details of, of each of those platforms to be able to see what different sectors might feel like or, or might get um, impacted by, um, you know, whichever government does or whichever party does form the government. Um, you know, there could be different ways to play individual sectors. For example, um, you know, part of the conservative platform indicates um, uh, they want to they want to broaden competition in the banking sector, for example. So allowing fintech companies to more be able to compete with uh, the traditional banks. And so will that impact um, the banking industry's profitability and will it impact that, uh, the financial sector in any way? Of course, again, more analysis needs to be done on this and the viability of that Um, But there will be opportunities over the next few weeks, I think, to to see where some of those little sector um, opportunities are and where some of those threats might be. Um, But as of now, I think, you know, it is still a little bit early, but again, the release of that conservative platform, again, typically the one that tends to spend the least amount um, in terms of fiscal spending under the three major political parties. Um, With the amount of money that's indicated to be spent uh, by that party, and then, of course, just assumptions on on what the other two parties will do relative to that, um, I think bodes fairly well for the Canadian economy for the next couple of years. And so that should should do a a good job of supporting stock prices in general. And, And then ZCN is the broad market proxy for that as well. Great. Thanks for that, Chris.
2: And as you say, a big question will be whether the Liberals are able to get a majority or not. And if they do, of course, that would give them far more freedom uh, to act as, as they see fit to help the economy and therefore companies recover. Let's have a quick follow-up, though, because I do want to go into one sector at least, which is energy. As the, the environment was so topical with voters' last election, and certainly it seems to be front and center right now. Uh, and that was quite a bit of a turning point um, in the campaign last go-around. Your your comments on energy and what that might mean for ZEO,
0: thanks. Thanks, Mark, and um, maybe I'll, I'll throw Zed Clean and there are our our, um, our green energy ETF as well, um, kind of the other end of that energy spectrum. You know, in terms of traditional energy, I think it's perhaps um, you know some people are looking past it, perhaps. You know, certainly the Liberal Party, I think, or the NDP, to that extent, probably wouldn't be the strongest driver of ZEo. Obviously, the conservative government would favor ZEo, but I think either way, um, you know, ZEo has shown us this year that energy isn't to be forgotten. Uh, we've had a strong rally in oil prices, and ZEo has, you know, participated right along with that and it's up significantly this year. Um, one thing I like about ZEo, in comparison to some of the other ETFs that are out there is the 50% weighting in pipelines. Um, now, in a strong energy market, that kind of holds it back a bit. But I think on the other, on the flip side is, you know, if energy is a little more volatile, you know, those, those pipelines tend to be a lot more stable. Um, they also give Zedio a good source of yield, about 3.9%. And really, historically, pipelines have been kind of the return generators in the space, you know, in comparison to the explorers, which are more uh, high beta, but don't tend to give us good return over time. Um and, and I think pipelines and transportation and storage are continue gonna continue to have strong demand. Uh, we know the lack of capacity that's out there. Um, it's tough to get projects off the ground, but you know they are working with that. And even the Liberal government has, you know, come in to 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 work to get pipelines uh, through as we saw in the, the last couple of years in BC. So um you know I think that's interesting um, and you know continues to be um, you know, uh, something that's not going to not be forgotten going forward by by any political party. You know, it's obviously too important to Canada as a whole. Um, on the Z Clean side, you know, just to mention the, the Clean Energy ETF, you know, again, a Liberal NDP government is going to be, you know, nominally better for this sector. You know, this portfolio is more of a global portfolio. So, you know, they, the you know, Canadian election is going to have some impact, but won't be a, a huge driving factor. You know, I think even the Conservatives are trying to, um, you know, come up to speed socially, it appears in their latest uh, platform, and, you know, probably recognize that there's some merit to, to this uh, green energy revolution. Um, you know, in terms of this one, you know, it's down 30% since inception. We launched in January. Pretty much all that pain was in by March. Um, it's been trying to break out, and, you know, once again, this is, you know, a different type of product for us, you know, it's the innovation suite, it's a long-term mega trend a little more volatile but again it's going to give investors that opportunity to benefit from hopefully higher returns over over the coming years um, you know as this is really a high growth industry and there's a lot of upside to it so uh, that's kind of the energy outlook you know i think investors you know combining these two exposures the traditional and the called the new world energy um, you know it's an interesting idea to have kind of a more holistic approach to energy sector overall
2: Great. Thanks for that, Chris. I'm going to switch gears now and head over to fixed income. Uh, maybe not as point in time, but certainly something that's been building with advisors are comments around, you know, the bond market in general, where, where coupons typically are above yields for taxable clients, that can certainly be challenging. One solution that jumps to mind is ZDB, our discount bond ETF. How would that work to help taxable clients? And as you as you explain the ETF, how restricted is the universe of discount bonds relative to the broader uh, FTSE universe? Thanks.
3: Sure, I can handle that one. And um, you know, maybe I'll just sort of go over um, you know what, what you indicated there—the the, the situation for taxable clients when it comes to investing in fixed income. Um, you know, typically uh, in a taxable account, uh, investors have to pay tax on the coupon that's being paid to them from uh, from any fixed income holding. Um, but as yields have gone down over, well, really 30 plus years now, um, the majority of bonds that have been issued in the past will have a coupon um, that's higher than what the current yield to maturity is. And so investors will pay tax on, you know, let's call it, for example, a 3% uh, coupon from a bond, and they'll have um, an asset that will go down in value. So the price of the bond itself will go down in value as it trades at a premium, uh, will go down in value uh, as it gets closer to maturity. So there's this um, capital loss um, that could be realized um, on the other side of it to help compensate for that higher income um, that's being paid out. And so for taxable accounts, that's that's not ideal. Of course, that's not the most efficient situation. Um, And so the discount bond uh, strategy aims to invest primarily in bonds that have a coupon that's much closer um, to what the yield to maturity is as well. So instead of buying bonds that are at a premium and go down in value, um, obviously the term discount, you're buying bonds that are trading at a discount. Um, and will go up in value as they get closer to maturity, or at least in the case of the strategy, are are not um, at a very significant premium or at at least close to trading at par, and therefore the the coupon that's being paid is very, very close to the actual yield to maturity. In this way, investors will, uh, taxable investors, will pay tax again on that coupon, um, but that's very close to their total return anyway, or the yield to maturity that they're expect the total return they're expecting from the yield to maturity. Um, and so the taxable um, liabilities here for investors are actually very similar to what their total return expectations are. So it's much more aligned um, from a taxable investor point of view. Now ZDB in particular is a is a uh, an ETF that tracks a discount bond index that. Overall, uh, in terms of characteristics, very closely mimics um, the universe bond index. So in essence, what you're getting is a portfolio that should have risk and return uh, metrics that are very similar to the overall bond market, the overall bond universe, uh, but again, just has that slight advantage when it comes uh, for, to taxable investors. So you know, just for example, if you take a look at the portfolio right now, you would get a very similar term to maturity. You know, the average term to maturity in the portfolio is very similar to what we see in ZAG, our aggregate bond uh, ETF and the index that it follows. Um, The the yield to maturity, very, very similar as well, and then the duration, very similar also. So you can imagine for investors um, in non-taxable accounts that hold that traditional um, aggregate bond exposure, that ZAG or or similar ETFs out there, in a taxable account, you can get that almost exact same exposure, you're just doing it in a more tax-efficient way through ZDB. Um, in terms of, you know, the restrictions on the universe, obviously it is a smaller universe because we're taking only a subset of the bonds that are out there, um, but it's still a very, very liquid and, and broadly diversified um, universe, and the port, uh, the index um, that ZDB tracks has almost 500 um, issues in it. And I think, you know, some of the other metrics when it comes around liquidity and things like that are actually lean towards um, ZDB as well. As you can imagine, um, any bond that is trading at a discount is probably a bond that's issued in a more recent past. So, you know, think about the past 18 months or so, that's probably a better chance to find a bond that was issued that is trading at a discount that has a coupon in line with where current yields are. Um, And so the portfolio and index are made up of a lot of bonds that were issued in the in the recent past, again, let's call it the last 18 months or so, um, and, and therefore are, are tend to be some of the most liquid bonds out there as well. And so, um, in terms of the universe, the portfolio um, that the that the the, port, the index that the portfolio is tracking tends to still be, although a subset of the overall bond universe, still tends to be very liquid and 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 very diversified as well. So, we think ZDB is a, a great solution. Um, For taxable fixed income investors, there's over 100 basis points in difference um, between ZDB and between the uh, traditional universe bond index um, in terms of that differential and that yield to maturity versus the coupon. So, you know, when it comes to fixed income investing, when yields are so low as it is and expected returns are so low, you know, paying attention to the tax consequences is very important. Uh, for taxable investors to, to maximize what they're getting after tax.
2: Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And, you know, if I look at returns relative to ZIG or aggregate bond on the, on the five-year, it uh, looks like they're within 10 basis points of each other. So clearly, uh, you're getting universe exposure, uh, the difference being that it is uh, held to a much lower coupon
1: selection. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 83 in the same podcast series where Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, introduces his new U.S. all-cap strategy. This exciting new ETF ticker Z-A-C-E, ZACE helps you invest across all market cap exposures to capture growth in companies both big and small.
2: Let's switch gears uh, back again. I want to touch on uh, the U.S. side of things now, where, of course, we've had the announcement on the infrastructure deal. This is expected spend already priced into the market you put that in context with ZGI or Global Infrastructure ETF. Um, what's the U.S. weight in that portfolio and how is the rest of that portfolio built? Thanks.
0: Yeah, thanks Mark. Uh, so last question first, it's about it's about three quarters uh, U.S. Um, ZGI is a global infrastructure and, and a lot of the global players are listed in the U.S. So there's about 75% there and about 25% um, in Canada. Um, but but again, you know, there's these these firms have a global footprint. Um, you know, in terms of the um, terms in terms of the, you know, whether it's priced in, you know, certainly we've been talking about this infrastructure deal for months. You know, I think when Biden in his election platform, you know, was, was indicating something around the two trillion range. Uh, you know, I don't think the market ever thought he was going to fully get that. Um, you know, the fact that the U.S. Democrats gained control of the Senate. Although, albeit, you know, very just by the one vote, um, did 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 help allow them to pass this uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill. It's about five hundred and fifty billion, so only only half a trillion dollars. Um, but you know, it, it's going to be significant, and you know, infrastructure investors and ZGI is is benefiting from it. Um, you know, in terms of ZGI as a portfolio, it's you know very traditional um, infrastructure exposures when selecting uh companies to include into the index um you know the brookfield and s p index partnership they look at direct revenue exposure and there's you know there's a checklist of um at least a a significant amount of the revenue has to come from um direct infrastructure activities um such as the ones that are in this package and in this package it's going to be about roads bridges airports um speaking on the clean energy side there is of course a green component to this bill um, in terms of um infrastructure for charging electric buses are in there um power generation so you know it's a very broad package um it's one that it's going to be um you know that gi as, as an etf is targeted at picking up on the companies that are that are targets of this package and um Yes, although although it's been talked about for months, you know the the market's still responding very favorably to it. So if you look at ZGI, it's up 18% this year, and that's that matches the return of ZSP. Um, In fairness, this comes after a couple years of ZGI being a bit behind broad markets. You know, when um, large cap tech was having a significant rally, you know, 2018, 2019 into 2020, um, you had large cap tech, and then you had you know that that great value cyclical value reopening rotation you knows that gi was left a little bit behind in the past couple of years but like i said this year it's coming back and you know that's sometimes just, i think the um you know a signature of a good diversifier is you know you, you, you can't be outperforming the the index in all periods but you want periods you know when it's gonna outperform when perhaps the index Um, doesn't do as well and so we've always viewed zgi global infrastructure as a good portfolio completion tool tool it's got lower correlations to the broad you know equity benchmarks than they do with each other so you know meaning the correlation of zgi to u.s equities is it's going to be lower than say canadian equities or international equities to the u.s equities so gives you a nice diversification tool and it's always um, aided by a strong demand meaning that there's so much infrastructure that needs to be built out or maintained around the world. You know, this this infrastructure build significant, but, you know, by, it's by no means the last one we're going to see. And, and indeed, in Canada, we could see more talk around that as we move through the election. You know, globally, there's just a significant amount of infrastructure. So I think the one, you know, infrastructure demand. So I think the one thing you can be certain of with respect to infrastructure is there's always the, the demand side is always there. And that's always going to be a benefit for these, these companies as a whole. So um, yeah, good, good news. And, you know, always nice in politics to see things get done as opposed to talk about for months. So this is done. It's going to move forward and um, yeah, it's looking good for ZGI so far, so far. And, you know, as I mentioned, we think this is a good tool for portfolio completion to add into the mix of portfolios.
2: Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Um, Now, looking at some of the questions that have come in, uh, this first one is a bit more on a technical basis. Uh, Certainly seeing the trend for the market to advance, but but, uh, seeing that volume and breadth are being challenged. Uh, Can you give us some context on the market versus historical levels? And perhaps this is just a function of, uh, you know, middle of August vacation time. Thanks.
3: Sure. And that's, um, you know, one indicator that a lot of uh, people look at um, when the market is moving, you know, in either direction is what's the ratio of uh, companies that are advancing versus companies that are declining. And that gives us some sense of, you know, is it relatively few companies that are driving the market or is this a broad based rally, so to speak? Um, and so, you know, we we certainly have seen, I would say, in recent, let's call it recent days in the last couple of weeks, even um, that advance decline ratio does uh, has has come down a little bit, uh, meaning the number of advancing companies is, is lower relative to the number of declining companies. Even though the market is still trending upwards, as as the question says here, um, and so you know relative to history, you know obviously we do see broadly historically um, advances uh, above declines and that's again just a function of the market in general going up over time um, and what we've seen again recently is that number coming down a little bit largely what this is uh, could be attributed to is the rotation in consumer spending patterns right now and obviously again coming back to COVID-19 which is really has been driving everything um over the last call a year or two, again almost two years now, year and a half call it, um, where, you know, if you think about what investors or what consumers were spending their money on a year ago, um, it was building out their home office, building out their home gym, the home theater, spending on goods, spending on things for their house, for themselves. Generally it was spending on goods you couldn't spend on services because nothing was open. You weren't allowed to travel, et cetera, et cetera. Now economies are are reopening and again the pace of reopening is changing constantly as delta variants and concerns are out there. Um, But they are still reopening and and as economies reopen and restrictions are somewhat eased again, especially relative to where we were a year ago. um, Consumer spending patterns are changing people are now spending on services they're spending they're going to restaurants they're going to put some people traveling to hotels. Um, haircuts, things like that. So things you weren't even able to spend on, um, you know, a year ago, people are now spending their money on. And so you're seeing a bit of rotation in terms of what companies are doing well, what sectors are doing well, and what the outlook is um, for these sectors as well. Um, You know, if you took a look at the outlook for the cruise industry a year ago, again, for example, it was pretty opaque and it wasn't, it wasn't very, uh, wasn't very attractive. Um, now you fast forward a year, even with concerns around variants and how quickly things will reopen. Um, you know, if you look forward one, two, three years in the travel and, uh, other service related industries, um, the outlook is starting to get a little bit better. And so you're starting to see that being repriced, um, into stocks as well. So again, Amazon was sort of, you know, the behemoth of the lockdown. Everyone loved Amazon. Everyone spent all their money on Amazon. The stock did very, very well because of that. Over the last few months, Amazon stock hasn't done that well. Actually it's kind of traded sideways. Um, And again, that's a bit of a proxy for that stay at home situation where spending patterns are starting to change. They're going a little bit away from that non-store retail, that Amazon type online spending for goods. And they're moving into other areas, whether that's buying Goods in person, or whether that's buying other sectors and, and service uh, related sectors. So that's what we've been seeing happening in the market. Will that continue? Of course, hard to tell. Will there be a bit more evening out? Um, I think it will all depend on um, economies um, um, opening, how quickly they're able to do that. Um, and of course, here in Canada, as we've been talking about the election and what that might mean for consumers and the support they're getting from the government as well.
2: Thanks, Chris. I think we've got time for one more question that's come into to us. Uh, with Delta picking up, COVID variant, of course, can you give us your thoughts on emerging markets, uh, particularly when you consider uh, that certain countries have lower vaccination rates? Thanks.
0: Yeah, I think this is an interesting one, Mark. Uh, looking at developed versus emerging, I think the perception is certainly that it's a, a bigger problem in the emerging market. It's um, actually not the case with the numbers. <laughs> if you look at the numbers, um, it's Europe and the U.S. that are, are really seeing the cases right now. Probably, you know, close to half of the cases on a global basis. So it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, if you look at the areas of emerging markets, say for example, in our ZEM. Um, MSCI MSCI EM Index ETF, you know, close to half of that um, exposure comes from China. China has um, really done a pretty effective job since the the beginning of the outbreak in managing it within their own borders, Um, and they continue to be pretty vigilant, and and the numbers are are very low in China. Um, You know, India is an example. seems to have settled down from that, you know, really aggressive, you know, obviously that's where Delta originated outbreak of of a few months ago. So um, actually it's not that bad. If you look at the exposures of ZEM, if you look at countries with low vaccination rates, um, South America's in there, Um, but these countries actually have a smaller weight in the ZEM product or MSCI emerging markets. So, you know, emerging markets have taken a lot of the pain um, for rightly or wrongly. I think more of the pain in emerging markets, quite frankly, has come from the um, political relationship between the U.S. and China, more so than it has been impacted by, by COVID. Um, but, 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 but again, I think, um, you know, as a whole, you actually look at, you know, ZEM versus call it uh, MSCI World, which is developed markets. Um, all things being equal, COVID's not looking that bad in emerging markets. So if they can get through that kind of political resistance that's happening right now, um, which I think they will, um, over time, um, come to more agreements, you know, I think, I think ZDM's looking kind of relatively attractive because it's certainly taken, um, taken some, some, some pain there. So I think ZDM has a long-term hole to diversify your equities. Um, It's looking good you know i I still feel you know that's not to say um you know international looks bad but i think you know um, perhaps it's um you know could be a prudent time to to take a look at your emerging markets um allocation and, and consider whether you know it would be prudent to have a little bit more um you know i do think china within there is you know it's a good theme for investors to have exposure to um so yeah maybe i'll leave it there mark unless there's any other questions
2: great thanks for that chris and just uh, watching the clock here, I think we're actually at time, so that's perfect. Really good conversation today, covering a lot of different areas. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. We really appreciate you doing so. We appreciate your time. Hopefully you grab some, uh, some great speaking points that you can bring back to your own conversations today. Of course, thanks to both Chris McCaney and Chris Heeks for coming on as our experts today. Uh, really covering a lot of ground and uh, giving us a lot of topical ideas uh, to bring back to our own days. So thanks to both of you. And with that, I'd just like to thank everyone one last
1: time and have a great day. Thank you. To Mark Rays, Chris Heeks, and Chris McCaney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about two very different approaches to the energy market, ranging from an equal weight oil ETF, ZEO, to BMO's clean energy exposure, ZCLN. Our experts also discussed an interesting bond strategy for clients with taxable accounts using the discount bond ETF, ZDB, to mitigate the risks associated with interest rate volatility. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca. That's BMOETFs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.